It's time to eat. What are you hungry for? Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Joe Dolan. Feed me now. I'm starving. On the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast presented by DraftKings. And we are just eight days away. From the 2021 NFL Draft. I can't wait. I get so excited. I love the draft. Like combines all of my favorite things of college football, pro football, picking players, all of that stuff. And that's exactly what we're going to get into today. In particular, talking about running backs. We've got Graham Barfield from Fantasy Points on the show. Graham has been a stud at a couple of different shops over the years. The guy invented his own metric, okay? Like, if I was Graham Barnfield, I would wear a T-shirt that said, I invented my own metric. My parents must be – your parents – Graham, your parents must be so proud. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's up, guys? They definitely are. My dad embarrasses me sometimes with with his – He's he's effusive in his praise. It's it, he gets overbearing for sure, but no, it's, it's definitely uh, definitely cool. Okay, how does your dad compare to Joe's mom? Oh, <laughs> well, uh, I don't know much about about Graham's dad, but my mom is very proud of me. My uh, I'm a mom's boy uh, first and foremost, always have been. Um, but my sisters always say that I am the favorite, uh, and um, my my wife Uh-oh. is. My wife is, uh, she has a brother, so she's one of two, and she thinks her brother's the favorite. So I guess that's a boy relationship with his mom. My mom loves everything. Um, she loves the podcast, and she's always listening, even though she doesn't play fantasy. She doesn't know anything about it. Um, I live 10 hours away now, so I guess she wants to hear my voice. But yeah, my, my biggest fan is definitely my mom, and my mom loves Graham, too. So uh, so she she... We, Graham and I did a podcast a couple years ago, and and she missed it when it went away. So yeah, my mom, my mom's my biggest fan. Graham's dad is his biggest fan, and I tell you, with when it comes to metrics, though, Ross, the only time I've been anywhere close to a metric, I was uh, eighth row in the Wells Fargo Center, and metric opened for the Smashing Pumpkins. That's the closest I've been. So, like, this is why we have to bring Graham and Scott on on the show because they're inventing metrics, um, and I'm just I'm just here disseminating them. So, so, I mean, dude, I got a million things I could say off of just that, that that two minutes. First of all, Smashing Pumpkins, they are amazing. Mm-hmm. Those guys helped me get through high school. I used to play before games. Today is the greatest <laughs> day there. Dude, I could kill anybody. I you sound so just like Billy Corgan, Ross. Or like, disarm? Disarm? Are you kidding oh. me? Just, ah! I went to a Smashing Pumpkins concert once, probably at Wells Fargo. You were probably there, Joe. It was <laughs> Might have absolutely been. amazing. Anyway, here's what matters, okay? I am not the star of this show. I'm the former offensive lineman that loves fantasy football, especially – best ball but i love bringing on experts from fantasypoints.com like joe dolan like graham barfield check out joe on twitter at fg underscore dolan the fantasy gangsta at fg underscore dolan check out graham at graham barfield 
literally just got an email before we started the show from a guy that said, I love fantasy points, but my code's not working. I thought you said Feast 21. Incorrect. I won't say your name. I don't want to embarrass you. 21 Feast. Not Feast 21, 21 Feast. Although maybe Joe could hook a brother up and make sure 21 Feast works too. We could figure that out. But anyway, what matters, 21 Feast. Here's what other also matters. Graham literally has a metric that he invented as it relates to evaluating running backs, which is what we're talking about today. So, Joe, before we get to Graham's metric, I want you to reinforce, and I know we did quarterback and wide receiver the last couple weeks, and we can do tight ends. It's Kyle Pitts. He's good. But let's talk again why it's important for fantasy football purposes that we have some baseline of how we feel about these players before they get drafted. Because I feel like as soon as they get drafted, people put blinders on and only think of the situation and circumstances and almost forget about the player themselves. Right. So well, one thing we've been doing when we were talking with, with Scott Barrett, when we talked about the wide receivers, it's important to understand kind of where these guys, Graham, Graham always, he borrowed this from Josh Norris, I think, but where these guys win, uh, what, what are they good at? And I think uh, so often in, in analysis pre-draft, it's what a guy isn't good at. Um, and I think coaches have become much better at picking out what a guy is good at and getting him in that situation. So I think it's what you have to do is, and this is why when, when why Greg Cosell is so important to what we do at Fantasy Points, because when he breaks down a transition for a player, he tries to not predict, but necessarily think based on what his eyes saw, where what kind of offense this guy would fit the best in. And Sometimes it lines up perfectly. Sometimes you have to do a little bit of work, but it is important to know about these players before you go in. Now, and I'm sure Graham will tell you this, running back is probably the single most landing spot landing spot dependent uh, position in all of fantasy football. Um, it, it's impossible to separate where these guys go from their skill set because uh, certainly there might be a guy who has an inferior skill set who's in a great situation who outperforms a guy who has a, a superior skill set and is in a bad situation. That's not uncommon. We see that with quarterbacks and wide receivers as well, but running backs might be the most team dependent. But Graham is going to tell us here about his yards created metric. By the way, Ross, this is, you might think, oh, it's like a saber metric. It's like analytic. It's really not because Graham charts this. Like this is, this is a film watching metric. So like it, it's just putting a number to what happens on the field. So it's not something cooked up in spreadsheets. That's what this is. Like, and people, people have a distrust of that stuff. Well, Graham is actually just watching and putting a number to it. And Graham is going to be able to tell us with his yards created metric, Graham, not to put words in your mouth. What correlates to fantasy success? What what transcends landing spot here, if anything? And and, and Ross, I think that's what uh, that's what we have him doing, and this is why he starts doing this uh, task before the draft. And Graham, you can explain. I've had John, and you've you know maybe a couple of years ago, and you explain the metric, but and I'll let you do that. But essentially, you have to watch every run of these guys, right? Like you have to watch every one of their runs, yeah. correct? Yeah, so I, so I typically watch six games. So it's, it's for college season. It's like half 
half the typical season. And then obviously this year with COVID, like Trey Sermon only played seven games. It was basically his whole season. But uh, yeah, I usually try to watch half of their year. And yeah, it's 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 literally every run. It's it's every passing down snap. It's every pass protection snap. It's uh, it's it's all encompassing for sure. Okay, and so I think people in their head probably have some idea of what it is, but can you go sure. into exactly what the methodology is? Yeah, so I mean, you're you're a former offensive lineman, so you you understand that, like, you know, the offensive line and running back play will never be fully divorced, right? There's no way to to fully say, hey, this running back is uh, is, is is gaining 100 percent of his team's rushing yards, and vice versa. Um, essentially what yards created is, is uh, it's the number of yards a running back creates on his own after the offensive line has or has not done its job. So if the, the line opens up, let's say they open up a hole that's a, you know three yards wide, the running back gets through it, he makes a linebacker miss and gains seven or eight more yards. Well, I'll chart that as three yards blocked for the offensive line and seven yards created for the running back. And I'll also chart how they force that missed tackle, either through elusiveness, power, or speed. And then vice versa, let's say the play gets blown up at the line of scrimmage, center blows his block, guard blows his block, and Javante Williams gets hit in the backfield, but then he gains you know, three yards past the line of scrimmage. I'm going to say, hey, that's you know, negative two yards blocked on the offensive line and five yards created for the back. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty simple, honestly. It's really just kind of giving more context to yards per carry. Right. Now, what are the other running back? Like there's yards per carry, which has mm -hmm. never been a great one because it's, it is so O-line dependent. Yards after contact, I think, is a pretty good one. Um, but what if you're a running back that's not a contact running back? What, what if you're a guy that makes guys miss? Like Shady McCoy didn't get a ton of you know, yards after contact. He just made guys whiff. Yeah, well, that's my pushback on Yak, too, is, uh, you know, not only not only it kind of hurts running backs that are very shifty and very elusive and make guys miss, like you say, it also it also comes back. And this is just the nuance of charting and, and you know, pro football focus, I'm sure, has this problem, too. But like, you know, when do you establish contact? You know, like, is it is it a guy just going through an art like an arm tackle like he's barely getting touched? Like, is he is he? truly forcing a guy miss through that contact. There's a lot of nuance there. And there's nuance in yards created. You know, that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing about football is there's so much subjectivity in everything that we do. There's no one perfect way uh, to chart, you know, to chart games and like have it be completely 100% objective. But, but taking things like yards created, taking things like yards after contact can certainly get us there. All right. So um, how long have you been doing this? This will be, it's crazy. This will be my sixth year now. Uh, I've got five full years under my belt. Um, have definitely learned a lot from, from when I first started. How well has your metric translated to NFL production? Uh, do you feel like you have enough of a sample size to speak to that? Or is it too hard to kind of translate it like that? Yeah, so I mean, I, I obviously wish I had way more of a sample size. I actually just did a uh, a five year review on FantasyPoints.com that you can check out right now, um, and I looked into just that. I ran some simple correlation numbers into you know how yards created per attempt predicted future fantasy points at a career level, um, and it's actually twice as predictive as yards per carry, and more predictive than like 
receiving yards per game, receptions per game, you know, counting just your traditional counting stats. And it's way more predictive than the combine. Uh, Scott Barrett, who you guys just had on, he just wrote an excellent article about uh, just how noisy athletic data, you know, athletic testing data is. And my, my numbers showed the same thing. But yeah, yards created for, for the very small sample that I have has been has been fairly predictive. But again, Ross, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, no, no one statistic or no one model uh, when it pertains, when it comes to football can, can really like jump you light years ahead. Like we're always like looking for to get like five to 10% better with our models and with our statistics. It's not a 50 to 60% jump. Uh, but when it comes to yards created, it's, it's definitely been pretty predictive for, for fantasy. That's life though, right? Like, yeah, I mean, absolutely. every I've got a couple small businesses, like always trying to get a few more downloads, always trying to get, you know, an increase number of people that order it, go big recruiting. I mean, that's, that that's where we're working at. Okay. So let's get into this year's draft class. And really, Joe, I, I want you to speak yeah. to this. It feels like typically if running backs are going to be good, they're good right away. And it feels like there's a lot of value to be had in fantasy with rookie running backs, but sure. you're, you're the expert, not me. I mean, there, there, there are some examples where uh, guys have had bad rookie seasons and have ended up having really good careers. Um, now, it's just a two-year sample, but David Montgomery comes to mind recently. Melvin Gordon had an atrocious rookie season, and he's put together a pretty solid career. As a matter of fact, uh, I remember winning big money the year after Melvin Gordon um, was terrible as a rookie with the Chargers because I ended up drafting him at a discount, even though I didn't like what I saw from him. Um, I ended up drafting him at a discount, and he ended up having a huge second season. But in, in large part, a lot of rookie running backs end up uh, producing numbers. You know, Jonathan Taylor was a league winner this year. James Robinson on the worst team in the league was a league winner. He didn't even get drafted. Um, but, you know, yeah, guys like DeAndre Swift who flashed. And Edwards Alaire probably didn't have the year a lot of people thought he was going to have. I will be drafting a lot of Clyde Edwards Alaire this year, by the way. Um, uh, but he ended up having some nice moments. So there were obviously some camp makers who was buried at the beginning of the year ended up being a league winner by the end of the season so there were a lot of examples like that of maybe a rookie running back um it might take some time um but they come in and then they adjust to the speed of the game and then things start to start to pan out and you know the one thing i have to wonder about is was last season an anomaly with some of these guys like swift and acres and taylor coming on a little bit later in the season because of the COVID offseason we always think oh running back you could just plug them in there was some evidence last year that maybe that's not necessarily the case, but rookie running backs are going to be valued high for fantasy, especially if they land in the right spot. But this is the question I'm posing to Graham. There are some very good prospects in this class. The problem is when you compare it to a class like 2017, Ross, when you had Alvin Kamara going in the third round, and I think Marlon Mack was a fourth-round pick, and you had guys all over the board getting drafted um, who were producing up and down. I think this is a very top-heavy class. And, Graham, can you speak to that? Is that true or not? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, last year's top five was, like, clear-cut. Where it came down to was just what order you had them in, pre-draft and post-draft. Um, and I'm 100%. You know, you know I'm with you on Clyde over there. I'm, I'm backing on that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, this this class, man, it's it's a, it's a top three. And then I think there's there's one guy after the top three that I, I, I'm really – 
uh, coming around on. And then after that, it's, it's kind of guys that to me, if I were doing grades, they would all be, you know, round four, five and six, um, grades. So, yeah, I just think where this, this, the top end of this class, like Harris, Etienne and Williams are all very, very strong prospects and all bring a lot to the table. And it, ironically, they all have three fairly different skill sets. Um, but yeah, I just think this class is lacking in depth. You know what's really crazy too is just to think about ETN and Najee Harris actually stayed all four years. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah, they could have true. been in last year's draft class. There's usually some underclassmen that really jump out to you, but evidently not. All right. So on your your yards created metric, Graham, did any of these guys really stand out? Or was it was there a clear cut number one in your mind? Yeah, so I guess we can start, you know, talking about the big three. We'll talk, we'll start with Javante Williams because he actually led Harris and ETN in yards created per attempt and actually did so by a mile. He, he created 5.6 yards per attempt. Uh, that's above Harris at 4.47 and ETN at 4.22. Uh, Williams le leads this class in yards created per attempt. He leads this class in missed tackles force per attempt. And honestly, I felt like he was very underutilized as a receiver. Uh, obviously, Michael Carter played a bunch on passing downs. They basically split targets like right down the middle. But uh, man, Williams is a beast, like just a beast through and after contact. Um, he's fantastic at avoiding contact. He's fat. He's fantastic at, at getting through contact. Um, I think I mentioned it at the top, but I, I chart missed tackles three different ways through power, elusiveness and speed. And, and Javante Williams is one of the most uh, powerful running backs that I've, I've ever charted. Uh, but he backs it up with great uh, elusiveness and nimbleness. Um, Joe, I know this will bring back good memories for you, man. But uh, like we kind of discovered Kareem Hunt around the same time. I oh, God. I was charting him. I, I remember I was charting Hunt and I was texting you. I'm like, hey, dude, have you seen Kareem Hunt, this guy from Toledo? And he's like, yeah, I've watched a few games. And then we both just kind of went nuts over him. I haven't seen I a running him. back. Yeah, man. I haven't seen a running back be able to convert his burst to power and also use his burst to make guys miss in a very, very small windows since Kareem Hunt. There's a lot of Kareem Hunt in Javante Williams' game. And I think Williams is going to go a lot earlier than people are expecting. And I actually think there's a chance he could be uh, the number one running back drafted. If it, I, it would not surprise me if some teams have him as their, their RB1 on their boards. Yeah, wow. that's awesome. He's a Greg Cosell fave too, I think, Joe. Oh, yeah, he was. Uh, that was the one uh, Cosell was on. We're going to talk about another yeah. Cosell fave who he turned me on to last year, uh, and which is good because he didn't play in 2020. But, uh, Graham, I just want to bring this up uh, to get it to a to a bigger picture right now because I remember you and I adored Kareem Hunt. Um, yeah. And then he tested at the Combine, and he ran like a 4.63 or something like that. And people yep. were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it was awful. You and I decided we're going to trust our eyes. We're going to trust the tape. And as a matter of fact, in your five-year yards created review, you've actually found that there is a negative correlation between 40 time and fantasy production. Like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean, like, when I put that out there, somebody was like, oh, so you'd prefer a guy to be slow. And I'm like, no, that's not true. It's yeah. just that, why is the 40-yard dash overrated for running backs? And what is a negative correlation? Because I don't think Javante Williams is a burner by any stretch of the imagination. No. 
Yeah. So this is something that Cosell always talks about is like, you don't necessarily have to have your backs have home run speed. You'd like to have them have home run speed. Everybody it's not wants a bad that. thing, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. It's not a knock that Travis Etienne is fast as hell. It's not a knock on him at all. Mm-hmm. But what, what really matters for running backs is, is burst inside of two to five yards. What really matters is, you know, that, you know, even five to seven yards. And, uh, I, I think, you know, the note that I had in, in, uh, in my article about, you know, athletic testing and 40 times and stuff was basically like I use 40 times as a benchmark, you know, can you run faster than a four, seven at running back? Okay. You're probably fast enough for the NFL. Like, you know, Kareem Hunt, you mentioned it ran like a four, six ish Javante Williams ran a four, five, five at his pro day and Twitter freaked out. It's like, man, he passes the benchmark. Is he fast? No. But if you've watched more than, you know, one highlight tape of his, you would know Javante Williams does not win on home run speed. And frankly, very few backs do. It's a really good point, Graham. It's funny because I'm just thinking about the guys I blocked for while you're talking. And I'm just thinking about your metric. Because in my mind, it's like not every yard created is equal. Absolutely, yeah. But ultimately, does it matter? In other words, like in Buffalo, okay, we had Willis McGahee and Travis Henry. Travis Henry would just straight up like stiff arm a dude or just run through a tackle and get like three or four more yards. McGahee had tremendous vision and would just kind of find a way to like, you know, stay behind the blocks and then step here, step there, fall forward. They both would get like three more yards that were there. Henry's looked a lot cooler and Henry was like, you're like, holy crap. But McGee still always got like three or four more yards and fell forward. I always tell the story when I was – I started the last seven games for the Cowboys in 2002, which was Emmett Smith's last year there. Yeah. And, and everybody's always like, dude, you got the block for Emmett Smith? I'm like, yeah, like, what was he like? I'm like, well, he was small, but he was slow. But <laughs> here's the thing. He found – he knew how to get yards. Like, we had a terrible O-line, but he would set up our blocks. He knew where to go. He would, like – it was almost like dodgeball, like dip, duck, dive, dive. He would fall forward and get three or four yards all the time. And I don't know where that fits in the yards created thing, but I I guess the question I have is, do you give them credit for vision on the yards created? So it's not making a guy miss. It's not breaking a tackle. It's probably hard for you to see unless you're watching like the end zone copy. But there are guys that just see it better than other guys and find a way to get yards. Yeah, and that's – you know, one of the things I've, your whole, uh, your whole, your whole thing, there's something I've always tried to parse through. And I think it's so hard to quantify vision. Uh, Cause like you mentioned, Willis McGahee was one of my favorite backs growing up as a kid, by the way, he was awesome. Don't make me feel old, Graham. Don't make me feel old. Oh man. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's, he was awesome. And I felt, I feel like he's one of the most underrated backs ever, but um, it's, it's really tough. You know, it's really tough to kind of quantify vision, but I, you know, I think yards created does a a little bit of that. I I won't say it does it perfectly by any means. It's definitely not a perfect stat, but um, I, I think it definitely speaks to 
and tries tries to quantify that vision because you know like we talked about at the top is like you know if you're not getting contacted you're gonna let's say you're not getting contacted most of the time because your vision is so sweet you're gonna be hurt in a stat like yards after contact all the time and somebody that comes to mind for this is Najee Harris. Najee Harris has some of the best vision I have seen out of out of a, out of, a of a rookie running back that I've charted in the last six years. Man, maybe since like Nick Chubb. I thought Nick Chubb had just excellent vision coming out of that class, and he just did not waste movement. His feet were always aligned with his eyes. Najee Harris is the same way. Like it, you know, it's very unsexy sometimes. Like Travis Etienne is a lot sexier because he's fast and. Uh, you know, he's he's making guys, you know, defenders angles look terrible. But Najee Harris does that with his eyes and his vision and always getting his body in the right position. Um, you know, he's 6'2", 235, whatever he is, but he moves like he's 5'10", 210. Um, he, he is just his his feet are just so in tune with what his eyes are reading. And, um, you know, Alabama obviously has a great offensive line. Uh, I charted them with the most yards blocked in this class. And every time I chart Alabama's offensive line, they always come out well in my data. So, you know, there's always that caveat with Bama. But, man, Najee Harris definitely earned his his yards on his own. And, you know, he was very good sustaining back. Um, real quick, I want to add something on Harris, too, is like, you know, not only can he be, you know, a foundation inside runner because he's so big, he can handle those, you know, 15, 20 inside carries if you if you want to give him those. He was a fantastic receiver. He actually forced the most missed tackles per reception I've ever charted in six years of yards created. He beat Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. Those guys were, were top two for a long time, and I, I've never thought anybody would touch them because they were just ridiculous. But, but, yeah, Najee Harris, man, he is, like, not only is he – not only does he have fantastic vision, but he is very, very elusive, and he's great with the ball in space. Um, so many things to talk about after that. That's fantastic to hear about him in space. And I always say Alabama's O-line should win the Heisman every year. Um, but you know what's funny, just as an aside, I did the U.S. Army Bowl for a number of years, which is like the high school all-star game. The two most physically impressive running backs that were ever there that I, in the five or six years I did it, uh, were Nick Chubb and Najee Harris. Like, mm. they wow. both physically, if they were on an NFL minicamp, you would not have known that they weren't NFL running backs. Chubb was so put together, his lower body. And Harris looked like Eric Dickerson. Harris was like 6'2", wow. 220 already. Um, so that's really, that's really interesting. So what about ETN? Because we got to get mm -hmm. to and your thoughts there yeah where etn wins is is kind of it's pretty straightforward um off the top i mean he scored very well uh in the 80th percentile in yards credit per attempt on his off tackle carries and that's that's strictly because he's so damn fast he's so good in outside zone and he's the definition of a slasher you know you give him that one cut and he goes um Etienne was pretty poor on inside carries, though, and I think some of that might have been Clemson's offensive line. I, Scott and I were talking about this um, a couple weeks ago. They, they lost a bunch of offensive linemen last year, so that could play a part in it. But, um, yeah, Etienne is, is kind of – I don't want to say he's stiff. Like, he's not, like, just a straight-line bruiser type of back. But he did not perf perform well at all in some of the elusiveness stuff I look into. Uh, the majority of his missed tackles came by speed, which, again, is not a knock on him by any means. But, you know, 
you know, ETN has been getting a lot of the comps to Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook coming out of college. And I kind of just don't really see those. I actually see a slightly heavier version of Chris Johnson. And for fantasy, that's, you know, that can be gangbusters. But yeah, my questions on ETN is, is is he a boomer bust runner? And, um, you know, where does he fit best? Because I think, I think if he goes to a team like the Jets, you know, Mike LaFleur just came from a Shanahan offense. Uh, if, you know, if he goes to the Jets and gets into an outside zone scheme, um, that's that's where he needs to be. Um, real quick, ETM answered all the questions about um, being a, a, you know, great pass catcher. Um, he's second in this class in yards per route run behind Kenny Gainwell. Uh, did pretty well in the missed tackles, uh, forced perception. Um, the biggest thing, though, for ETN and – I always go back and forth on how much pass protection matters, but ETN is one of the worst pass protectors I've ever, I've ever watched. I mean, he got manhandled in a few games. Uh, his technique was really poor, just did not square up well or consistently. Um, so if, if there was a big knock on ETN, it would be pass protection. And I know that's something that you know matters to coaches. Uh, for fantasy, it doesn't matter as much just because when ETN's on the field and passing downs, he's most likely going to be running routes. But uh, I thought it was worth mentioning that, that ETN was a really – poor pass protector. Uh, Graham, one more guy that we need to get to before we let you go, and this has obviously been awesome. Thank you for making my job easy on this podcast, by the way. Um, The best-named running back of all time, Kenneth Gainwell. Uh, (laughs) Did he gain well in yards created? I mean, so this was a great Cosell favorite. He turned me on to him last year, and he sent me an evaluation, a tape evaluation of him last year, which remains unchanged because he didn't play in 2020. You obviously went back and looked at his 2019 tape. What did you see from him? Yeah, uh, well, the number one thing with Gainwell is he's a fantastic receiver. And and Memphis used him they, – they used him as a wide receiver, basically. I mean, he was running legitimate ISO wide receiver routes. I mean, there was a couple plays against Tulane, I believe it was, where he ran, like, comebacks, like 15-yard deep comeback routes to the sidelines, and he's beating corners. Granted, it's, you know, not SEC corners, but, I mean, he was beating corners. Um He's one of the better receiving prospects that, you know, we've seen come out in the last six years. I mean, every single receiving metric that I follow loves him. I mean, he leads this class in yards per route run, leads this class in target share, leads this class in targets per route run, uh, and was pretty elusive, too, when he had the ball in space. But, man, I am really concerned about him as a runner. Um, Memphis's scheme, Mike Norvell's scheme is now at Florida State. Uh, man, they, they, he does such a fantastic job at making life easy for running backs. And this is one of the things that, you know, I think I missed on with Darrell Henderson. And, um, it, man, Gain, Gainwell really struggled as an inside runner. Um, you know, I think some of this is his frame. I think also some of it is, you know, even though he is a smaller kind of fast back, he's not he's not elusive in a way that's like – he's not as stiff as ETN like I was talking about, but – he, he's definitely um, – he's not shifty, I would say. He's got a little spin move that he pulls out. But, he, you know, he, he, it, he, it takes him a couple steps to kind of gather himself. Um, but I think his size limits him as an inside runner. He scored really poorly uh, as an outside runner, which for a guy who wins on speed is, is not something you want to see. But coming out, man, Gainwell, you know, the biggest question will be is, like, is he a James White type where he's only going to get four or five carries every game? Or is he, you know, an Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara type of guy where, he, you know, you can give him 10 to 15 carries and, uh, and obviously let him do his thing in the passing game. And I would tend to, to lean towards the James White archetype. 
All right, so Joe, don't take yep. this the wrong way, okay? I won't. But we talked to Scott last week and Graham this week. These guys are off the charts smart, <laughs> and their stats are amazing. Everybody and their brothers and their mothers for Mother's Day needs to go to fantasypoints.com and put the code in 21 feast. These guys have invented stats for every position. It's and they're real stats. They're good stats that they came up with themselves. I take notes. Last week I had like 10 notes from Scott. I got 10 more from you, Graham. Like just tremendous information. Use the code 21 feast at fantasypoints.com. Follow Graham at Graham Barkle. By the way, Joe, you're amazing. You know I love you. You're the fantasy gangsta at FG underscore Dolan. I'm just very impressed by the fantasy point staff. You're all smarter than Hanson. I mean, you're all better than (laughs) Hanson. And it it is unbelievable. Check out DraftKings. You guys know the deal there. Next week, I think we'll do a little mock draftage which is always fun. Other than that, the keg is kicked. We are all tapped out. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker football podcast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and the College Draft, all available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. A lot of times on the show, I mentioned DraftKings. Here's what you need to know. You got to be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler or in Indiana, 109WITHIT. By the way, if what I was talking about included a deposit bonus, it doesn't always. Sometimes it does. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough, and deposit bonuses are paid out in site credit. 